This is pretty much pop a culture podcast, sadly lacking the laugh track to tell you that we are funny. Today we're discussing the legacy of cheesy three-camera sitcoms, how today's TV is dealing with that. I'm Mark Linson-Meyer, and a la Three's Company, this podcast has all been a wacky misunderstanding. My name is Sarah Lynn Brooke, and I am looking forward to the reboot of Small Wonder. <laughs> yeah, just you, dog. Really? <laughs> My name is Lawrence Ware, coming from Oklahoma City. And honestly, Mark cussed at me earlier, and I'm kind of getting myself together. It wasn't like bad. Like I'm yourself. just regretting my actions. Landon, uh, introduce yourself. A long-awaited guest. I am Landon Solano, doing a prat fall over a bicycle and looking at the camera as my name credit comes up from Grunt Work Podcast. <laughs> Very well done. That Very is well funny. Done. That's actually funny. I like That's that good one. job. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> So we'd long been in conversation because Josh Casey, Dylan Casey's brother, you go way back with him. Oh, yeah. I've known Josh for 20 some years now through three different states and long friends. And you have had for how many years now have you had this grunt work podcast almost done going through in painstaking detail every episode of Home Improvement plus like other Tim properties and wow. Yeah. That's it, it's a practice and folly for sure. We are on our eighth season. I think it's about six years now. We're a little more than a recap podcast in that we are, I guess, trying to examine some of the meta messaging of the 90s sitcom through a comedic lens. So Home Improvement is all about male initiation. It's kind of based on this work called Iron John by Robert Bly. And there's a lot of toxic masculinity that came out of the 90s. And so we're kind of looking at it from a 2020 lens and going, well, what do we learn from that? What, what do we all take away from, from these home improvement episodes and try to do it with a comic slant to it? Sarah Lynn, I had thought of you. I don't remember why I thought of you among our regulars <laughs> first to join me on this. Is you it because I'm something. old? <laughs> That's a little bit of a dig there. Like, I have no idea why I thought of you, Sarah. You're a piece of shit, Sarah. Like, God <laughs> damn, Mark, you're on one today, man. I'm asking I, was, I was alive during the days when these were the only things on TV. So, yes, yes, I could consider myself an expert, I guess, on 80s and 90s. <laughs> I just, I thought you had recommended, you had had one of the ideas that we, we, oh, we were yeah. discussing in advance had to do with, was it with the Kevin can go F himself or was that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, so and you I watched it, right? Did you that. watch all both seasons? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I sort of gone back and forth into what this show should actually be about. I mean, we've done some coverage of sitcoms on this podcast, but not for a long time, not with any of you people. So I'm happy to go back here. We've talked a little about the evolution from the laugh track, three camera in front of, it performed under a lot, in front of a live audience or, you know, <laughs> whether or not, those laughs that you're hearing actually came from that audience or not. And so originally I was like, it seems like there is a few shows that have been kind of deconstructing this recently that, so the mm-hmm. Kevin can go F himself, which is a, what channel? It's an AMC. Yeah. Cha- so AMC. not that many people have the AMC yeah. channel, but that is a, you know, a sort of brilliant look at the tropes in sitcoms, specifically family sitcoms. And then this other one reboot recently, <sighs> That I watched, I love that which as so we were planning yeah, on re- this. Reboot is doing something really interesting there. Yeah. As we were planning on this, they said it's not getting a second season. And the first season was really short too. So that is I know. They're shopping around though. But then as thinking more about this, like, well, those two shows probably are not much. Our audience has really seen those as opposed to like 
Well, Night Court just got rebooted. That's hugely yeah. popular. Like so 11 think, million. Yeah. That 90s show as well. Yeah, that 90s yes. show was very popular as well. Yeah, it really is. And Velma is another one that's been rebooted, but it's not a three that's camera. Probably, yeah, that's its own uh, bag of nonsense. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Lawrence, when I was pitching this to you as like the cheesy legacy, because just my own self-loathing of like, I sat through so many fucking Welcome Back Cotter episodes and this <laughs> stuff that I just could not even watch for two minutes now without just being physically squirming in my seat and wanting to run away. Right. But right. you seem to have a more favorable attitude towards the maybe oh, not good. so much uh, ambivalence. Yeah, well, I love the sitcom format just as a, I didn't watch much Welcome Back Carter. I, I don't know that show. Yes, that's probably before your time. <laughs> I don't know much about I'm that I'm the show. oldest. <laughs> yeah. But I just I love sitcoms. But I really, really grew up watching a lot of like black sitcoms. Right. So like, gosh, guess what's happening? Guess what's happening now? Is it actually guess what's, what's happening? happening? Or is it what's ha- yes. I watched What's Happening. <laughs> they also had What's Happening Now, which was the follow-up show to oh. What's Happening, believe it or not. Yeah. Good Times. <laughs> also, Good Times. Yeah, I, that's what I, I was thinking about. Good a lot times. of Good Times. Love Good Times. Watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, of course. Watched Martin in the 90s. Watched Living Single in the 90s. Watched Sister, Sister. Like, I watched all that stuff. So I do have an appreciation of the white ones, like the Brady Bunch and the Saved by the Bell, although Saved by the Bell's kind of playing with the form there. I do have an, an affection for the white ones, you know, but... My mom said, yo, nothing else is on TV. After the Super Bowl, we watching what's happening. That's just how I was raised. You can't talk about this stuff in 2023 without having someone bring in some diversity. Otherwise, it'd be just like white people talking about white shit. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to diversify. What you talk about, Lawrence? Don't start. <laughs> Do not start with me. <laughs> I, none of our intros had a catchphrase in, involved. I, I, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Landon, open us up here, given all that I spilled out. I mean, it seems like your podcast is not, as you say, just a faithful recap. It's a no postmodernist or whatever, however you want to put it. Your format here on this show. I mean, is it really worth just doing a recap show of something you love unabashedly? To me, that's the most boring thing you can do is just go into something and say, I love this part and I love this part. I think what we do week to week on our show is kind of look and examine exactly what you're talking about here of like, why was this popular? I mean, Home Improvement was contending for the most popular show on television during some of its time. Why is that? Who was it appealing to? And does it have a lasting effect here 30 years later? I think I'm a little on Lawrence's side here as well, because we talk about this on our show a lot. My co-host is seven years younger than me. So in a different generation, I grew up with reruns, you know, and Nick at Night. And so I was exposed to basically all of television, whether I was watching the new stuff in primetime, I was watching the old stuff at Nick at Night with my grandparents, or I was watching, you know, the stuff from the 70s during syndication, you know, during the daytime. And so I feel like I have an interesting perspective on the different types of stories that are being told. And what I think is interesting, and I'd like to open up for discussion, is kind of the audiences for these. And Lawrence, you're kind of talking a little bit about that, of why I think these have different appeals for different reasons for different audiences. I think you're going to find some interesting explanations for stuff there. I do think that there were certainly audiences that were specific. So like Good Times had a specific kind of, I mean, yeah, it was a black audience, but it was like a urban black audience, if you will, when it comes to Good Times. Jefferson's also the Jefferson's also had like a urban kind of black audience for those kinds of shows. The big divide happened in the 90s between Martin and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as far as black folks concerned. 
Because if you were edgy, you were cool with Martin. Like you liked it. Because Martin was doing some kind of like really envelope pushing kind of comedy. Whereas the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was very, I'm not going to say vanilla, but very safe. I mean, it was funny. It was kind of hip hop, but it wasn't like, like Fresh Prince is like the Fresh Prince hip hop. Whereas Martin is like NWA hip hop. Like, I mean, it's still hip hop. But one has a little bit more of an edge in the first prince. Your mom could watch that. I would never watch Martin with my mom. It would have been some uncomfortable conversations. But there's a different kind of audience for like friends or a different kind of audience for Welcome Back Cotter. I saw I've seen a few episodes, not that many. A specific audience for like Three's Company, right? They would find this kind of funny. And so what's going on is why are there so many different shows and what audience are they appealing to that kind of keeps going back for those kinds of shows? Well, what about there's so much crossover because so many of the shows that you named, Lawrence, were some of my favorites, too. But what makes a show that could be considered a show for one type of audience, such as a Mm -hmm. black audience, Mm -hmm. um, what makes that like a a crossover show? Like I think of Family Matters is a show that was hugely popular, right? And it was sort of across the board. It wasn't just a black show. It was a show that so many people watched, or I think of A Different World or The Cosby Show, right? Um, those yeah. shows had huge crossover. But wait, wait, wait. Did Different World really have? Because Cosby Show certainly. Oh my God. Did Different A Different World, World I really? I watched that religiously. Maybe really? Because I was in the age bracket. I was looking up to those. Okay. Women, and okay. I thought, that's who I want to be. I want to be like them when I grow up. And, you know. Mark, did you watch, <laughs> did you watch A Different World? No, I think I was a little. So when did that start? Late eighties. It, it was in eighties. Yeah. It was in the eighties, yeah. and I was yeah. in high school. So I was so, might have been in college. But, you know, I, I you were smoking I, cigarettes. I finished. Okay, got it. Uh, was, no, no, no. But I finished college. <laughs> I finished high school in eighty nine. I'm class of eighty nine. So mm-hmm. oh, so am I. Oh, okay. Well, we're <laughs> well then. Obviously, okay. So that's an example. So different. So world. I was I was cognizant of different world. I probably watched it once or twice, but like it just for whatever it reason didn't resonate did not with catch you. me. As right. opposed to when I was really young, watching just anything, you know, and that's where I wa- mm. watched all that Welcome Back, Cotter and Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. Oh, all my gosh. I love Bewitched. Oh, yes. 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 So not everything landed or was available. Like I wasn't going to sit through more than one or two episodes of Mr. Ed. Like that was just like right. too foreign. <laughs> too far. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you, it sounds like a little bit like. You know, if you graduated in in 89, I think there's a big difference, too, between the family sitcom and the sitcom that's appealing to single life or to people in you know, mm. just that's outside of family. And the family stuff is going to be more the like, why in the heck would I watch anything, you know, for more than two seconds when I'm in college that is teaching me how to speak to my kids about getting their driver's license or <laughs> finding marijuana in their sock drawer? You know, like you're just going to turn up your nose at that. Whereas something maybe like Frasier or Living Single is going to appeal a little bit more to your sensibilities at that time. I mean, if you're even interested in the format and the way that it's trying to deliver, you know, its joke mechanisms. True. It is an age. It's also a gender thing, too. I wonder if the reason why I liked A Different World is because I was a teenager, you know, Mm -hmm. a teenage girl. So maybe it is the family comedies that are the thing that is the most scarring. I think before yes. a certain point, there wasn't that wow. distinction. Wow, scarring. <laughs> so, that, wow. so that a show like Welcome Back, Cotter, which is ostensibly about, about high school kids, mm-hmm. was something that I was watching. You know, or Three's Company. Three's Company is so, it's all sex jokes. It's really edgy. Yeah, and it's I was really watching that one. at yeah. age, I don't know, eight. 
And it seemed like I just thought that the characters were funny or funny enough. I don't know. It was enough that like I watched all of them. I watched when they got rid of it became just like what three's a crowd or two. (laughs) Well, they got (laughs) rid of they replaced Chrissy twice. And then eventually they got rid of Janet. And there was one season of just like Jack and his new wife and their father-in-law. And I even watched that crap. So yeah, I didn't go that I didn't go that far down. <laughs> well, the, that show was on reruns, so we would watch yeah. that after school. That show was so not for a kid, and but that's what time it was on. That's what we watched before homework. <laughs> In terms of appeal, though, I'll say that I loved Three's Company, but. I came about it through Nick at night while going through a breakup in the middle of the night. So just every single night put on on the Ropers and and Mr. Furley and just laugh at the completely nonsensical farce that's going on because I don't have to think much. It takes me out of what I was going through at that time. But it bonded me in a way to it that now, 20 years removed from that situation, I can look at and go, that's pretty ridiculously constructed material but it provided me the escapism that i needed in the moment i don't just i don't appreciate it i did appreciate it for what it was at the time is watching something ironically even really a thing or there always has to be for you to you know watch it more than once i don't know i had a friend in college one of the summers of college a friend of mine who later was in my band would watch saved by the bell every day and he was a smart guy and he thought this is the dumbest goddamn show, but he watched it ironically or he, he enjoyed it despite that. Whereas that was the first one. I feel like sitcoms moved to being aimed just at kids, or at least certain ones. Like that's how the format survived. My daughter watched all these ant farm and the, I don't know, these Nickelodeon aimed all at Disney kids. Channel stuff. Yeah. All that Disney channel stuff, uh, Hannah Montana, whatever. So that was the first one that I just like, it made my skin crawl just to watch it for a second. And this was my friend watching this. He was like introducing a new way of watching stuff, like watching, hate watching it or (laughs) hate watching it. I did that too. I've seen every single episode of Saved by the Bell. And you hate watch it, Sarah? (laughs) I don't know if I totally watched it ironically. I think there was one point where Zach and his girlfriend broke up. Don't disrespect Saved by the Bell characters. Okay, listen, maybe I was just young. I graduated in 1999. So... I did not hate watch a thing when Saved by the Bell. I watched that earnestly. Like, there's a lot of things coming up here that we kind of need to kind of parse out bit by bit. But one of the things that I love were like the very special episodes. You know, so there was one episode of Saved by the Bell. I think they had like a duck or something. And like, <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous to say this. And the duck like was exposed to like oil. And so <laughs> the duck died. And it was like a very special episode about taking care of the environment. I cried. (laughs) I was so teared up. (laughs) That was so emotionally torn apart by that episode. Go ahead, Landy. That's such a good example of why I think the family sitcom, one of the purposes I think is you can watch it with your family and have these open discussions about these things. There's an infamous episode of Home Improvement where Randy has a cancer scare. It's supposed to open up this this conversation, I think, is the, the idea with the entire family watching it to be able to go, well, instead of doing the hard parenting, you watch an episode with your kids and go, so, you know, when Brad was hiding that marijuana, that wasn't a good thing. And don't do pot. OK, great. Glad we had this talk. <laughs> this changed my life. I will never do drugs again. <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's very effective. but it's, it's not effective at all. But I love those very special episodes. 
And every show has them. I mean, Family Matters had them. Fresh Prince had that genuinely, genuinely affecting. And it made me cry because I grew up without a father. So it had that genuinely affecting episode where Will's like, why didn't he want me? Like, that cut to the heart. And so those are examples of how these shows can be very, very effective. But at the same time, they're kind of silly. And I don't know how serious I should take them. But one of the things that interests me is just where are people watching these shows? So I watched a lot of my shows. I want to say they came on after school. I think that's when Three's Company was on. But I think a lot of people, especially Landon's age, and I have no idea how old Landon is, but since I have gray hair and he doesn't, Same I'm going age. to assume. Are we really 40? Are you 40? Yeah. Get yep. the fuck out of here. You're a great looking 40 year old. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think I completely missed that Nick at Night thing. I didn't watch any episodes of anything. On Nick at Night. And maybe it was because it was, they were showing a lot of friends, and I don't really fuck with friends like that. But maybe that's the reason why. But I didn't watch anything on Nick at Night. Like, by the way, I hate friends. We, that's a whole thing with me. We can talk about that if you want to. I was too old for that. Yeah, it was I a mean, little it, after my time. Yeah, it was more like I watched reruns in the afternoon after school. But then that would roll right into the seven or eight o'clock ones. So I can't, in some cases, like I think I watched most of Happy Days at the time, but then Happy Days was also in syndication so I could see the old episodes, whatever. But I like Ugh. it all blurs together now. Yeah. The Happy Days, yeah. Laverne and Shirley hour. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was I, heaven. I, wait, wait. So, so you guys are telling me you watched that like live? Like, like you watched it when it first came on? Some of it. Yeah. Wow. It was on for a long damn time. Was it? Okay. I remember the Richie leaving. Like, so I saw yeah, somewhere that must have been a few seasons in that the main way character after jumped off Fonzie the show. jumped the shark. So yes. this, and since Landon is my same age, I don't know nothing. I mean, I watched Happy Days on reruns. <laughs> I absolutely didn't watch them the first run, though. Landon, did you? I don't think you were old enough to. So you say the Laverne and Shirley Happy Days hour, and like I seem to remember in my really young childhood. So this had been you know mid eighties, early eighties that they would recreate those sorts of blocks during daytime television. Like I would go from Sesame Street, Mister Rogers, and then like go eat lunch and an hour later they'd be playing the Brady Bunch and then Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days and you know that was my babysitter obviously that wasn't prime time and wasn't when it was originally broadcast but I do think that there wasn't a lot of creativity or content to fill the daytime hours when I was growing up and they filled those with basically rebroadcasting what they were basically live yeah I remember TGIF if you guys remember that it was on ABC They had Family Matters, I think, used to come on during that time. Do you, you, you remember anything else? Was that Full mm-hmm. House, too? Was it Full House, Full too? House, Family Matters. I could never sit through either of those shows. <laughs> no, and that was also, I, I thought those shows were repugnant. I was like, not really? that. Yes. We were just really? too old. That's, it's, this is just a generation thing. I was too old, it's, yeah. It's, okay, interesting. So, like, TGIF was ABC. They used to be a sitcom. Thursdays was NBC because I remember ER was on at that time. Is there anything like that happening now? Because a lot of stuff is streaming. Well, they're bringing a lot of of it back. I mean, Abbott Elementary is now. Yes, Abbott Elementary. That's Wednesday nights. Yes, that's Wednesday nights. I do know that. But they're not scheduling TV like that anymore. Yeah, we're not. It's not appointment television, you know? I just really, stream. Mark, you cut your cord. Yeah, we just stream everything. Mark, you are so but I pay for strange. so goddamn you many are an, streaming you services. You are an old man, like legitimate old man, <laughs> but yet you're so ahead of your time. You're you're a unicorn. You're a wonderful human being. Being angered by cable TV charging yeah. me for all these channels that I that you don't, don't watch. ever watch, yeah. don't have time to watch, and then yeah. not 
being stingy about the DVR or, you know, having to, if they offer streaming that it's with commercials or what, like I have no tolerance for any of that. We, we need but to have now a whole I pay conversation. probably just as much for all the damn streaming, streaming services right. as I would just right. the cable. So yeah. we need to have a whole conversation. We can have it after this, whatever, but I'm really flirting with the idea of cutting the cord. I'm really close to it, but I need somebody to walk me and hold my hand and walk me into the beautiful future of cordless life. We'll talk about that later. Let me try to make this relevant to the topic, which is the only reason some of these stories we're telling of like, you know, I would be home from school and then, well, what's on at two? What's on at two thirty? What's on at three? Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what determined why we would sit through stuff yes. that is objectively garbage. But did you know it was bad at the time? I think I pretty, oh yeah. I knew that Three's Company was bad at the time. I knew Welcome Back Hotter was a complete cheese factory. But was it, okay, Welcome Back Hotter is completely different. I don't know about that show. Three's Company, <laughs> it is a little corny. I will admit, it is a little corny. The comedy is very, of its time, is very corny. And to this day, going back and watching some episodes, because I watched some preparing for this, I kind of enjoyed it. So like, as, I, a, as a new thing, like we were rewatching with my daughter, all of Frasier and like that and Friends, they, you know, I know you hate Friends. But come we're, on. We're not going to get into that. Just watch Living Single. Go, go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead. So there's some of those things that I feel like stand up to the test of time. And there's a number of shows even now. So one of the ones I watched recently, I've sort of really thought Chuck Lorre was the devil for a long time. Like that he just produced. <laughs> the worst wow. crap on television <laughs> just based on, you know, what I remembered and then what I subsequently was hearing about Two and a Half Men, which is, I, I think, a show that I kind of enjoyed when it originally came on the air and I watched some episodes. But it, it was maybe the Three's Company of its time. You know, these sex comedy, mm-hmm. wild singles, uh, whatever. It was pretty edgy. I just watched the first few episodes of Mom, which is a later one. He did this Alice and Janney thing. What I an amazing that. cast. And like, it's pretty, not a very good show. Pretty, I think I'm going to keep watching it, it but really? it, there's no reason that it had to be in that format. Like that, that exact that show, show. Yeah. that exact yeah. show could just be made into a no laugh track, single camera. In fact, there's a different show that just started this year called Single Drunk Female that I watched a couple episodes on, which seems very similar, but it's in like the more modern or shrill is another one of the new, like yeah. that's the new style that I can stand. Whereas this like, I don't know, unless I can actually imagine, like with friends, that they're actually on a stage in front of people who are honestly laughing at the things. Right. If I feel like the <laughs> laughing is being boosted up electronically or by the hype people that are like showing them the signs when to laugh, it's just weird. We had it's really condescending. Yes. We had an Aaron Sorkin episode on here and we talked a little about the comedy sports night that had a laugh track in its first season, but it was just like mutters. And then they just got rid of it. <laughs> Because like it was deadpan humor and it was done in front of an audience, but they just actually, I guess, used the laughs that were there. And then they're just like, this is embarrassing. It sounds a little bit like we can talk about format and we can talk about formula and going to like your Chuck Lorre comment. I'm kind of curious, like it's what you do with the formula within the format that can make it or break it. And like, why does Frasier work or Cheers work? And why do those stand the test of time? Why does the Golden Girls stand the test of time? Oh my gosh. I love the because Golden. of what it's doing with its formula compared to some of the cheesier stuff, some of the, the Chuck Lorre stuff that you see the later seasons of Two and a Half Men, you just see the formula laid bare and there's nothing being done with it. And so it feels insulting to your intelligence because it's as old as television itself. You know, like all those Norman Lear shows, Right. you know, there's just so many of them and not every single one of them was a home run, but 
still, you know, he had such a great average and all those shows that, I mean, you're just talking about the Jeffersons, you know, Maude, God, all of those shows, they were like little stage plays, you know, it was, and they were in front of a live audience. And they didn't feel like they were talked down to to the audience either. Would Norman Lear be able to do those shows if that format and formula didn't exist beforehand for him to kind of subvert and turn it on its side and go in a different direction with it? Well, he is. And he was coming from, you know, the sitcoms from the 1950s and the 60s, right? With like, I Love Lucy and all of that. And he did. You have to. You have to reinvent it. You know, that's why Chuck Lorre was... So is so successful. I mean, he is extremely mm-hmm. popular and not really my thing either, but those numbers he gets for those shows from the early aughts are kind of unmatched in a lot of ways. I think I've told you this before to your amazement, Lawrence, but after a decade or more of being completely snobby about it, I eventually like turned for the second time to try to watch the Big Bang Theory. And now mm. I'm almost done with the show. Like I've almost gotten through because it's just, it's a show I can watch and not even look at it. Like I could just listen to it wow. while I'm doing other stuff. Or, I think that's you know. the key. <laughs> I think Landon's right. I think that is the key. Go ahead, Landon. That sort of sitcom appeals to like, I think, two different types of people. One is the younger generation who they need that laugh track to know when to laugh. They're watching it with their family. They might not get the jokes, but they're falling into the formula. And then the other's like, I just need something to erase the day that I just had. And, and just ha- have it in the background. Yeah. Joyful certainly. in the background, something colorful in the background while I look at my phone or do my dishes. That isn't the existential crisis that is the news every day. It also makes me think of the generational thing is, I don't know about you, Mark, but some of us were latchkey kids. You know, a lot of us were, you know, we have parents who work and you know, the television for those of us sometimes was our babysitter and having that companionship in a way, you know, it didn't really matter what was on, but it just so happened that's what was on those types of sitcoms. And that was kind of our, our background noise or our company, which maybe makes them so nostalgic now. I mean, I, I do kind of wonder why we're coming back to some of these old shows and rebooting them. Yeah, we should turn to that. That's a whole other kind of conversation. And One that I, Lawrence, was kind of interested in your take, if you've seen the new Fresh Prince. We're talking about changing formats. We're talking about meta. How do we reinvent something going from a three-camera sitcom into a drama? Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about here because I'm fascinated by the Night Court phenomenon because, honestly, I kind of didn't like the original Night Court. This one is interesting. It's fine. Uh, It has some great acting. There is an art to sitcom acting, and Night Court has it in spades. But the new Fresh Prince is interesting. You know, the character's name is Will, and it keeps the formula of the Fresh Prince, but it turns it into almost a Bollywood melodrama. It's really hard to kind of put my finger on what they're doing with that show. But at the same time, I absolutely love what they're doing with that show. I watch it with my family. I mean, it's M.A. There's some things that are inappropriate for the young kids. So we'll like kick him out the room or something like that if we think something bad is about to happen. But it's a very interesting phenomenon to take this show that was just fluff comedy. You can have it in the background. You know, the famous episodes of Will playing basketball with Carlton and Carlton being absolutely terrible. And the whole offense just give it to Will, let Will cook. And now it's like, it's a serious drama. 
there are some like moments of comedy, but it is 90% drama. Like it is really, really crazy. So I don't know why that show is so successful, but people love it. Like they love it. If you go on social media, whenever the episodes premiere, everyone that I know is talking about it. So this brings me full circle to the issue. I do not know what's going on. I don't know how they're doing what they're doing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what shows they choose to turn into dramas and what shows they keep choose to remain comedies. I imagine that they would never do a dramatic Martin because I don't know how that would work. Right. If you know anything about Martin, it's in Detroit. Like it would be it would be like a gangster show. I, I don't know how they would do that, but I'm fascinated by what they're doing now with all these shows because they're bringing some back. They're making some of them dramas. They're making some of them. They're, they're keeping some of them comedies. And I have no idea what the formula is. I don't know what works and what doesn't. But obviously, the Bel Air is working. The Night Court is working. Other things don't work too well. I, I don't love a 90s show, for example. Have you seen the, the updated Saved by the Bell? I did watch that. Well, I watched the first season of it, and it lost me on the second season. I like the first season of yeah. the reboot. I is actually it, did like it. A, it's still a laugh track, three-camera sitcom? No. no. Oh, it's not. It's, it's a it's single different. cam. Yeah, it's um, single cam. No, there's no laugh no track. No laugh track. It is a comedy. I read it as more of a dramedy than like a hardcore comedy, though. Because it's like, there's just like serious stuff they're kind of dealing with that's happening in the periphery. There's like commentary that's happening about socioeconomic class and bringing people from a lower socioeconomic class into like a higher socioeconomic class. It's a different kind of show, which the first season worked for me. The second season, not so much. So Night Court, which is one that was in, I think, that Thursday block that it was maybe after Seinfeld or whatever. So I, I watched that religiously as a kid. And I remember. Was it good? Did you like it? I liked it enough to keep watching it. The older version is much better than the newer version. I've watched a few of the old version. The thing that I keep coming back to is I'm like, that show just didn't seem very special to me. It was fine, but it just didn't seem special. I'm thinking, why would you bring that back? Why would you bring that particular show back and then bring it back in a way that's not particularly, you're not reinventing anything here. You know, it's basically the same show. I think John Larroquette is doing a masterclass on sitcom acting. He is so good. He's almost in his own show by himself every single time he's on the screen. He deserves an Emmy for what he's doing with that show. It is really, really good. The rest of it's fine. But he's on a on a different planet. They could have made that into a legal drama. Into just, <laughs> you know, th- there's no reason but you know to make it a dramedy. Legal, there's, there's so many, legal yes, dramas. or legal yeah. dramedy, you know, a comedy with with some dramatic elements. I feel like the text of the show of don't be so cynical is like a self-defense of the format and the show itself. Like it's okay to like something where everybody's mostly just nice to each other and we're just goofing around and that's what a sitcom should be. And it should be something the whole family can enjoy. And you know, everything doesn't have to be euphoria and breaking bad. Isn't that part of the whole strength and weakness of the sitcom format, which is it has to play to the widest common denominator and therefore can't be too offensive. It has to have the widest and broadest appeal, which when it's working, it can really speak to something timeless and something that we all can relate to. But at its most obnoxious, it's like, okay, this is, you know, a little insulting to my intelligence. Yeah. (laughs) But I was just talking about this with my husband. So the old night court, Every single character had their own kind of quirk. And so Harry Anderson had like magic and he was always fiddling with stuff. And 
you had the big tall guy who's a softy on the inside, but looked scary on the outside and the smoking lady and, you know, and John Larroquette, who was kind of a lech. And, you know, it was just everybody had their own thing going, whereas you don't in the new version, you don't have anybody who really kind of stands out as someone with a particular characteristic or anything. It just seems like such a waste of talent. (laughs) I feel like you're being a little hard on the show <laughs> there, Sarah. I mean, clearly something is working because so many people, I'm not talking about an HBO millions. I'm talking about like serious 11 million, 10 million. Like this is a huge, sub- that's the issue. I don't know why I do not have the answer for you. I don't know, but it's feeling some kind of hole. And John Larroquette is really, really good. And I think that it's fine. I mean, the first episode was a little bit of like place setting. So it, it wasn't like as funny as the later episode. Cause the first episode was like, we have to justify why we're going, like what's going on, why we're back, all the kind of stuff. And then it kind of got going. I didn't watch the first night court. That was not my thing. I might have been too young for it. I don't know. Now it's not Abbott Elementary. Abbott Elementary is great. And Abbott Elementary could have been shot as a three-camera format, I think. It, it could have, yeah. It's more in line like a mockumentary kind of show. So sure. I, I think that the format that it's playing with, yeah, very much like The Office, very indebted to that. I think that the format is part of what makes Abbott Elementary so funny because like, there are times where characters are looking at the camera deadpan, and it works. I mean, so I prefer Abbott Elementary the way that it goes. You have to pay attention. But Night Court is a show that you have on the background, though. I would be shocked if the millions of people who are watching Night Court are like sitting down, taking notes, like paying attention, drawing lines between how the characters are relationship. It's a background show. And I think that's part of the reason why it's successful. People just have it on the background where they're cooking dinner or doing whatever. It's a little risky. Like there's a male stripper, you know, it's a little risky here and there, but it's something you have on the background. And that thing is the strength of that show and why it's so popular. That's another like trope of the sitcom too, at which I think separates it from the meta sitcom or the, the meta shows that we're seeing, which is things had to return to a status quo by the end of the episode. There wasn't really a continuing storyline. There was, you know, a continuation of character, but there really wasn't any stakes on the line for these sitcom episodes. So it made it more difficult to explore the things that we can do in something like Kevin can fuck himself. Something where like King of Queens could not do, right? And I think that that kind of plays into what I've already said about the comfort level of these shows is like, we know no matter what happens, no matter what strife happens between these characters, they're going to be fine at the end, <laughs> unless somebody's leaving the show. <laughs> you can drop in at any time too, whether you don't have to have seen the pilot yeah. episode, you can come in right. season yeah. two, episode four and, and get it. It's fine. Like I remember with Blackish when that was kind of, churning and doing very well there was like a stretch of episodes where they were like the mother and the father were like having issues in the marriage and there was like a threat that they might break up but we knew that was bullshit we knew they weren't going to break up there is no way that they're going to break that show up and somebody's going to leave right and so that's what you want like you want a show there might be a little tension the last three or four episodes but ultimately it needs to resolve it needs to kind of Restore our hope in humanity and in the world. And that's the makings of a great sitcom. You start make, messing with that formula, then that sitcom is going to end very quickly. You can't have Saved by the Bell 
and then Kelly dies in a shootout in the parking lot of a Bel Air. Like, it can't be that way. They did that on Kevin Can Wait, didn't they? Like, after one season, they killed his wife off and they brought back Leah Remini. It was like, okay, let's just do King of Queens again. (laughs) You can do that to reset things, but you can't really mess with the format too much because if you start messing with that format, like, imagine the Brady Bunch and one of the kids, like, dies. That is traumatic. You're not watching that shit. Well, I, I just, I watched the one two and a half man episode with Aston Kutcher where they had severed ties with Charlie Sheen. I just couldn't get my head around like that. They didn't care. <laughs> they said, no. The audience mm-hmm. knew what was going on. We're not going to like make pretend that this is sad in the way that they do when like <laughs> when Phil Hartman yeah. died. And I was yeah, watching yeah, news radio yeah, and they like yeah, have yeah. to, you know, and they did that in night court too, that like a couple cast members, a couple of bailiffs in a row, I think died because they were really these old ladies and they would make a show of the people in this, in the show being sad about it. It's not like Wakanda forever where they had to make the stretch it out that long, but at least they would give. Don't you don't, be careful with what, don't you time. be we'll careful about Wakanda forever. Don't next, start talking shit episode. about my, my movie, man. Don't start, don't talk shit, man. <laughs> Maybe it's those Norman Lear ones, like where you actually could have tragic things happen. The dad on Good Times can just die. Like, because that actor yeah. didn't want to be on anymore. I mean, but that's the actor wanting to leave the show, but they found a way to do it in a way that like continued the story. Like, you can't go too far though. Like, if there's contractual stuff going on behind the scenes and the person wants to leave the show, you can find a way to have the person exit the show, but you can't, like, in the first season, the 10th episode of that first season, kill a kid and expect people to want to come back. Like you have to be gentle and be knowledgeable about how you handle those kinds of things. A lot of those shows, those Norman Lear shows were such a product of the time because they didn't shy away from those big issues. Whereas Mm -hmm. they weren't tackling those kinds of issues, you know, in the nineties. Like on full house, people die. Wasn't it a a full enough house that people could die off? I never watched that show, but Hell, hell no. They would never. <laughs> the whole wow. mission statement for that show is what happened to predictability. So I don't think that they were going to be killing anyone off on that show. But Sarah Lynn, that's an interesting point where maybe the sitcom could be revitalized on a grand scale now if we did take more chances like they took in the Norman Lear shows reflecting the times that they were in. I feel like the sitcom now is so clean and so like, let's just make it as inoffensive as possible. What was that episode of All in the Family where Gene Stapleton gets, you know, and it was like not played for laughs. And that's that was shocking that they had a sitcom where there isn't a laugh a minute. <laughs> and you would not see that now. But maybe that's what we got the jolt of the system that we need to bring that sitcom back to life now. I do not know how you do a police brutality episode <laughs> of a sitcom or how you do a Me Too episode of a sitcom today. Like I just, maybe I'm just too narrow and I'm not thinking broadly enough, but I remember that episode and I remember that episode being shocking, but I can't imagine them doing that today. And and maybe that's just like the format has changed so much. They can't go back to it. I don't know if they could. I wonder if you just can't do it in that three camera setup in front of a studio audience. Like you have to do something like Kevin can F himself where you're looking at, gender and you're looking at a wife who has finally has some agency over herself, over her life and seeing that, that true arc, that true character arc in her journey in that show. But you couldn't do that. And I think that's what that show actually was all about when it was in the three camera sitcom format. 
it was all about this baby man and his, <laughs> you know, narcissistic viewpoint. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the ideology? So Landon, you get into this. Like we've been talking a lot about just the experience of there being a laugh track or like, is it a single camera? Is it not a single camera? But you know, the thing that seems objectionable about a lot of these in retrospect is the ham handed, you know, that if they're doing something that's not just sex comedy, you know, just three's company, whatever, then it's like those very special episodes of what you talk about, Say by the bell or whatever. Say about, say about the bell. Yeah. Yeah. Different strokes. This is what different I was strokes, raised yeah. on. Yeah, 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 different where strokes, oh a, friend of, yes. a friend of Arnold's gets touched in a bad way or, you know, yes. yeah. all these drugs episodes, something wrong going on there. It kind of picking up the pieces of all these things we've been talking about, you know, the status quo that they have to return to by the end of the episode, the laugh track. These things kind of contribute to a normalization of what they are tackling as an issue in an episode. And when you're dealing with something like on home improvement, it's constantly the battle of the sexes. And that often presents itself between Tim and Jill, his wife. And if you're not paying close attention, the way that the writers will construct the show is they'll have the conflict and then they'll resolve it by the end. And it's usually, you know, adhering to Tim's side of things or like he doesn't learn too much, but we have to return to the happy marriage at the end. But they cover it up with a laugh track. And so when we walk away from the episode, we're kind of like reinforcing these conservative beliefs and viewpoints, even if they aren't intending to do so. It's just by the nature of the repetitious format and formula. By the end of like season three, we're like, okay, guys are going to just be guys and they don't ever want to go to the opera and too bad. She's going to have to do all the dishes and cook the, you know, raise three boys, cook all the meals and go to school. But he loves his cars. And what are you going to do? Wow. That is dark. I think one of the, <laughs> like, I've never watched Home Improvement, but if that what that show was about, wow. Maybe I have eight seasons of, you know, cynicism behind me with that, but, but still, there is a certain look behind the veil, like, you know? If it's like 10% of what you said, that is dark, man. So, like, so you found that Kevin was actually like a pretty spot on response to that. I mean, it's taken to its extreme degree, but I think that there's a certain, we need a jostle to take a deeper look at what's happening with what we are brought up on. Because we just had an episode recently where the boys who are now, you know, in their late teens were going through something and I was the same age as they were. And I took away, maybe not directly from that episode, but they were touching on something in the culture at that time and they were playing it for laughs. I think it was like one of these things that we see like in How I Met Your Mother, these like, if you want to get in bed with a girl, you got to do a, you know, just listen to her and say these three things and, you know, you'll get there eventually. That's all they want to hear. And they're playing it for like laughs and, and the boys don't succeed at it. But the message I took away was, well, there are a set of rules to do these things. And I, that's how I lived my teenage years. And so looking back on it with 20 years of perspective, I just can look at it and go, wow, this schematic was there. And it was being reinforced by presenting it as something humorous without really examining it deeper. Not that you can in a sitcom at that time, right? I mean, that's kind of why I think Kevin Kniff himself is needed to kind of have an extreme look at those archetypes. That is interesting. so interesting, Landon. The laugh track as being our guide to how we're supposed to be understanding the narrative, right? Even though there are alternative ways to understand a narrative, obviously, right? I wonder if a show like Kevin Kniff himself, if 
the only reason why it can exist is because we have been retrained as viewers to go into something knowing that there can be nuance and texture to a character. You know, like many of us have seen The Sopranos and we understand and we have seen shows that are just as deep and wonderful since. And we are reprogrammed now to be able to make up our own minds about these different characters. And so coming back to something like Kevin can F himself is a totally different viewing experience for us now. Like we wouldn't be able to have viewed that show 20 or 25 years ago in the same way. Mm. I'm feeling like I should have at least tried to watch the How I Met Your Father once to see how that one continued. Because <laughs> How I Met Your Mother was one of those things you're referring to, Landon, where actually I, I watched that with my wife for most of its run. But at a certain point, you know, I know that the Barney character and his his misogyny is supposed to be played for laughs, that he's really, you know, a gay guy in real life and is not the sleaze bag, but like it was just too much. And that was another one. You know, the cast is great in that, but I remember Jason Siegel making a joke toward the end of the run of like, oh, I wonder if next season Marshall will come back and eat a big sandwich. Like that you <laughs> the format, those writers or whatever, you know, had trapped him in something that even though it was a pretty good example of his genre, please let it end at some point. You can apply it to like any show. I mean, if you start to really look underneath it and Lawrence, you know, uh, trigger warning here. If you look at Friends, like Ross here we go. is... <laughs> here we go. Ross is like a toxic dude and it played for these kind of romantic tropes and for these big broad moments. It's all building to that end of the season finale where they play U2 over him and Rachel getting together. But when you really examine, what is he doing? What are we learning from this? What are we taking away subconsciously? Because we aren't actively pulling it apart while we're watching it. What are we taking away? And it, it ends up being like, you just need to be persistent. <laughs> you just need just to wear her down. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you could do that with Seinfeld. You could do that with Frasier. You could do that with literally anything. Because the sitcom format and the formula just is designed to kind of graze the top of the surface of these things. Yeah, of course, Seinfeld or Married with Children or, you know, these things that were reacting at the time to the sitcom format. Like, we're going to keep the sitcom format, but everybody's going to be shitty to each other or what, you oh, know, whatever. Married the, with Children. Oh, that was a great show. A great show. I think I hated it when it came out. It was just... It really? Was, there are certain things like, I don't know, when I first got introduced to Howard Stern... And people are yelling at each other. And I'm just like, this makes me viscerally uncomfortable. Eventually, <laughs> I adjusted and like, okay, I, I see the appeal of this. But yeah, that's never one that I spend enough time with to get over the hump. I feel that way a little bit about It's Always Sunny, where it's like, I can deal with it in small doses, but like, it gives me anxiety to watch, to binge a season. I'm just like, can we just all not yell at each other for, you know, five seconds? <laughs> see, I, I love that show now. And that was, I, I need to quote my former co-host, Brian Hurt, that Always Sunny in Philadelphia was a smart show about dumb people. And then Big Bang Theory was a dumb show about smart people. <laughs> they, oh, that's a good, exactly. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I have no apologies for Sunny, other than maybe it's been around a little too long, but the Neo Seinfeld, the Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like, Curb Your is, Enthusiasm is different. The Curb Your Enthusiasm is really, really good. And they just kind of mm -hmm. take breaks every sure, now and then. Sure. Uh, and then come back. But I mean, it's just a formula that works. It's very deadpan, it's very straightforward. And I think they will know when to end it. See, one of the things that sitcoms oftentimes get trapped into is they get trapped into making episodes way long past their, you know, their time of being good, right? So you'll get like 
three good seasons and then like five seasons of crap. And so, so what, much the, filler. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot of it. And so a sitcom that really knows when to end, they go in with a particular starting point and say, you know, we'll do this for three years. We'll do this for at max four years. And they stop, right? They don't get seduced by money. They say, yo, we're going to stop here. That's a good sitcom. That's kind of what happened to How I Met Your Mother is how I felt about it. At the very beginning, it was really good, really intriguing, trying to figure out what was going on. By the last two seasons, I was ready for it to end. And then for them to come back with a whole nother show, I'm out. You can't go on too long. And that's when I'm beginning to wonder if Yellowstone will learn that lesson and if Succession <laughs> will learn that lesson. Don't go on too long. Have a Succession, stopping point. Succession, I think, is learning that lesson. Point. The networks used to order, what, 22 episodes in a season? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of episodes in one year, you know, to get through. And I just imagine those writers, I mean, and that was a great gig and those writers were making a living. But at the same time, what are you going to do, especially with characters that don't change? That's the other thing, too, is, you know, when the sitcom first was around, binge culture didn't exist. So there's a certain amount of repetition. Like I think Golden Girls is one of the best written shows maybe ever. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. I tried to binge it. And even I was like, okay, Rose, I don't want to hear about St. Olaf again. Like every episode, (laughs) you hear the same jokes because we're watching it week to week. You had breaks between, you had a summer between seasons. And so you could have a more tolerant palate for that. It's a really good point, man. Well, yeah, and you didn't have to have a catchphrase. <laughs> or, or you, you could have a dynamite. <laughs> dynamite. What you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Willis? Right. Isn't, isn't dynamite one of the things that drove the dad off the show of good times? Because he was kind of a more hoity toity actor, a real actor. And he's just like, this is becoming like a farce. And I'm getting upstaged by this jackass. So I'm going to leave the show. Yeah. But I have a question. Did other people, other than black people, have catchphrases? Because there's, there's what you're talking about, Willis. There's dynamite. Did I do that? Like, that's Urkel. Like, <laughs> did white people have catchphrases? Or was that just a black people thing? Every show had a catchphrase. Did they? Did they? How you doing? Who's that? that Who was that? Who was that? There you go. See, that? that's Joey on Friends, but that's not every episode. That's just like a recurring right. gag. Okay. Nobody had catchphrases that they would do every episode. The Simpsons, which was another one of those things, you know, so the Simpsons deserves its own episode at some point, but like this was introduced as something like Seinfeld that was going to be subversive, but it's existed so long that like, I don't know. I don't know anybody that still watches it that watched it at the beginning. So I, I don't even know what to say about it, but there's bang zoom to the moon, Alice. Going back to the honeymooners. <laughs> what is just that? Like, is that for the fifties? What is that? That he would threaten okay, his wife okay, with domestic okay. violence every episode. Yes. Yeah, it's hilarious. Nice. Is that funny? Is that funny? No. Is that a catchphrase? No, it's or not is that funny. a threat? Is that a threat? I feel like it, it was both. It threat. was a catchphrase and it's a threat. Both. Apparently, <laughs> yabba dabba do. We don't have things like the Flintstones that were. Not, oh, yeah. not subversive versions. That's of, a whole sitcoms, other episode. But, now we're but talking about ripping off, the Jetsons. Ab- yeah. Making children's versions of and these it still things. had a lap track, right? Didn't Flintstones oh yes, have a I want to say it did. That's a good point. That's a great point. It absolutely did. Norm from Cheers. Every time he walked in, that was uh, okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't his just the black characters. It wasn't just the black <laughs> characters. But but you got maybe it, oh yeah, that's a uh, that's Full House. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. You got it, dude. Anyway, I definitely wouldn't remember anything on fucking cheer. I'm fucking friends, though. I'll tell you that shit. <laughs> Let's do one more go around. Is there anything, a show or anything that you were like, oh man, we really should have talked more about this? Or we touched a little bit on it, but 
I'm interested in how things evolve from when they were first seeded as an idea to what they currently are. And I like seeing the like slow progression of these things. So going from the family sitcom into things that slightly subverted it, you know, like Norman Lear married with children, the Simpsons kind of subverted. everybody that. loves Raymond. Like the fact that like there's kids, but the show's not about the kids. Like that was in the opening. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then going into something like The Office where there's a format shift, but it's taking the sitcom formula kind of with it and then going from that and how it translates into what we see now. And you kind of see these parallel branches going where you you see the evolution of how we're playing and, and turning the formula, but then getting things like Last Man Standing and Big Bang Theory that are saying tried and true. And what does that say? And, you know, I think that kind of comes back around to the main question that we started this with. That's kind of where I'm interested in. It's like, what are the audience for those things? What are they taking from them? Lawrence, any final thoughts? Any shows that you didn't get to mention? I mean, there's plenty of stuff. I I would love to talk more about living single and how living single is really what Friends was trying to be and what they ripped off on. And that's the reason why I fucking hate Friends, because they stole living single and turned it into a white show. And then, like, kicked all the black people out of, off of the studio, even though they were in New York. And allegedly, there should be. But anyway, so living single, I'm really interested in, in the current shows. Like, so Southside is a show that's on HBO Max. It's really, really good. And it's kind of a, a new sitcom, but it's very black and very interesting. There's also Brooklyn Misdemeanor that's on Showtime. I believe it was just canceled, though. But that's an example of a contemporary, like, new show that's kind of a sitcom but doing something interesting. So sitcoms are still around, but they're doing things differently. They're playing with the format, and I'm really interested to see what they do in the next few years, particularly when you have a show like Night Court that is very much traditional, and you have other shows that are doing different things. We'll see what happens. Nothing much need to add other than I'm appreciative of any show that tries to kind of play with our expectations and twist it in some way. You know, we didn't talk about Bojack Horseman, but I loved that he was a, a sitcom star and a, you know, in a garbage show. And that and I just I like anything that kind of that plays with that, that plays with what we think we're getting in ourselves into. And I wish that we had actually talked a little bit more about Reboot. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that somebody will pick that show up. I don't think it's it was just announced that they aren't moving forward. Yeah, they're not. Not just I, on I, Hulu, but nowhere. Yeah, it's yeah on nowhere. They, they, okay. I know Hulu yeah, didn't pick it back up. but Well, those over. people are too much in demand by other things. <laughs> like, unless you got them under contract, you're not going to keep that cast together. That is that shows, that shows moving on. Well, there are things like that, like Freaks and Geeks, that were a little flash in a pan, but yeah, they will live brilliant. forever in that streaming as just show. like... Yeah, a thing that happened once when when amazingly they got this cast together and now cat, that nobody cast could was afford way them now. too good to continue <laughs> that. Like that was an amazing show. Everybody who's listening, send Sarah Lynn hugs. She's sad about the end of her favorite show. She needs some love. Like if you guys could see her face, she was just dejected when she heard that the show was going to end. Send her love. We're with you, Sarah. We stand with you. Thanks, Lawrence. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Landon. Thanks to all of you. Thanks, thanks. Landon. Thanks, Landon. It's great to be here. I, I've been listening to all your voices for so long and uh, glad that I can finally be part of it. Awesome. Thanks, listeners. Bye. 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 
We're now in the uh, after talk portion. Here's a here's an opening salvo for you, Mark, based on stuff you were talking about and your reaction to sitcoms. It's a two part question, which is, does it <laughs> does a show have to be good to like it? And do you have to like it to keep watching it? <laughs> That's a great question. Let's go, Mark. Let's go, Mark, because you're the one. You're the one. So the second one, 100 percent. No, I just started watching Terra Nova. Is that the name of it? Wow. No, 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 not, not Terra Nova. I was going to say, that's a terrible show. No, sorry, not, not Terra Nova. It's the new version of that, uh, 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 the Tar Pit, La Brea. Sorry, oh. I think it's the same <laughs> show. And La Brea is just, is a shitty, okay, I never, I never saw any Terra Nova. I heard it's interesting. I heard it's interesting. It's a, it's a, sh- just a shitty lost ripoff. It's, it's, there's going to be nothing yeah, good about yeah. it, but I'm going to keep, keep watching. Wa- I'm going to keep watching. I've only watched two episodes. <laughs> Maybe I won't make it through a whole season. But yeah, there are a few things, but that's kind of, you know, Lawrence and I, we, we've talked a lot about horror. And so there, I have different standards. Fan. Yeah. I have different standards for horror. Like horror only has to be a little good. It has to have whatever it is about the mood. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great, uh, there's a great Stephen King quote from his Dance Macabre essay, uh, book essay. And I'm going to just paraphrase it, but he, he, compares it to being a, a old prospector searching for nuggets of gold, like sifting through a, a pan of muck, just hoping to get one little tiny speckle of dust, gold dust. <laughs> so you can, you can watch. All, yeah. I was watching, I'm, I have shutter. I was watching, I think it's called Skinamarink or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. I it watched is, that. Yeah. It is a really weird movie and it's very atmospheric and it eventually gets like under your skin, but it's shot so strange. And I was, and, and I'm like, I'm like that prospector, man. I just keep watching it. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And then I get a little bit of horror. I'm like, give me that high dog. Let's go. Let's keep going because that's how I am with horror movies. A horror yeah. movie can be bad for like 90% of the time, but has a great jump scare at the end. I'm in, I'm happy. I made it. But I- can't you apply that to sitcoms though too? I mean, if you look at like failed spin-offs, like there is a uh they they did the most half-assed attempt to to seed a spin-off in the home improvement universe um called Soul Man, starring Dan Aykroyd as a single father preacher who moves into the like the Taylor neighborhood. And he's on one episode of Home Improvement to introduce the character, and then they go off into a show. And it's just an abysmal show. It's unwatchable. It's like just watching Dan Aykroyd dancing through the opening credits, you know, in his old Blues Brothers style. Anyway, but, you know, I think people who love sitcoms and love the familiarity of the, you know, home improvement world or any of the worlds that they're trying to spin off from are like given that a chance the way that, you know, we do with horror movies. It's like, I don't know, but I I, kind of know what I might get out of it. So let's. Let's take a look and see, and you know, it, it sinks, sinks or swims. That's actually how I am with the Housewives franchise. She said, uh-huh. without an ounce of. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! I'm, I'm about to lose all respect for you now, Sarah. Okay, what? so so you watch like the Real Housewives or whatever? I do. Really? I do, and I'm a college professor. Really? I do. That I know is it's not so good. I know it's not good. Bad. It is so bad. I absolutely agree with you. And I will watch if if the Beverly Hills Housewives are on, I will watch that entire scene season. Okay. Okay, let me okay, it's it's confession time. 
All right. Do not judge me. This is a great next future topic of like, what are the worst shows you've sat through (laughs) in their entirety? Okay, listen, do not judge me. But there's a show that I can't stop watching. It's called Milf Manor. Oh, (laughs) oh, I've heard of this. I've heard of this. Over the top. It is so bad. But it is so good. I love the show. (laughs) I cannot stop watching it. It's called Milf Manor. I know it's trash. Don't judge me. Like, if we're comparing Milf Manor and Real Housewives like Beverly Hills, like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is like Citizen Kane compared to like <laughs> Milf Manor. It is so over the top and so bad. But I love that show so much. It's really, really good. I fear for our culture. We yeah, I do that. Too. But I But at least they're going to be entertained. They will definitely be entertained. Mm. What channel is it on? I may check it out. I don't even know T- what TLC. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, TLC. TLC, the learning channel. The learning channel of all places. <laughs> I'm learning about MILFs. That's what I'm here for. Wow. That's got a 35% of IMDb users like this show. Huh. And, and they're right. That is terrible, but it's also great. That's no, that's the, of the, the people that actually watched it. I, I, yeah, I that know, doesn't I mean thirty five percent of the population. But but you know the learning <laughs> channel is weird because the learning channel. I remember when that that channel used to be like you genuinely learn things. Yeah, <laughs> that was most most of those channels like history and and A uh, and E. Yeah, and Bravo. and now the learning channel is like trash. It's like smut TV. History is doing things like real aliens like all these <laughs> channels have really kind of shifted and gone haywire bravo's where you used to go to watch opera the bravo used to be where you went to go watch opera and the met and stuff i didn't know that and, and, yeah and then bravo also used to have that actors oh what's uh, the, oh, the interview show. The actors Your actors oh, yeah. yeah they used yeah. to have that show and now they're just it's like not on anymore no it's, it's, i think so. it's he's, over he's long past, show. But, yeah i think he's passed away um, but oh, now cool. they're doing Real Housewives of Pluto. That's what they're doing now. <laughs> you better believe that's gonna. <laughs> how how long? Once we reinstate Pluto as a planet, <laughs> absolutely, I'll be absolutely. first in line. Like, I, I I love the way they're wearing their spacesuits. Their spacesuits are hot. <laughs> Sarah Lynn, how long do you think Joni Loves Chachi was on the air? Uh, I'm gonna say two seasons. It was canceled in the middle of the second season. Only 17 episodes total, apparently. I think I saw them all. That was like exactly when I was watching Happy Days and they put it on after it or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a big crush on Scott Baio. I no longer have a crush. Of course you do. Of course you did. <laughs> you absolutely love his politics now. You love him. Oh, Lauren. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, that's I think that's a, a whole other topic too, is like the the failed spin-offs. Um, you know, because they you talked a little bit about Three's a Crowd Mark, but there's Golden Palace right after the Golden Girls, where B. Arthur left. Uh and then when that didn't work. They're like, well, let's just weave them back in to the world. The, uh, the successful spinoff that we did, which was Empty Nest. And so uh, Blanche and Sophia and um, Betty White's character, Rose, all ended up on Empty Nest at a certain point because they were still living next door to the the doctor there. <laughs> oh, wow. I forgot I, that that I, was a spinoff. I'm not aware of the spinoffs. I, I really didn't follow much of the spinoffs, really. Well, but Benson... I was. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. No. Okay. I, I was reminded. I this is this is to sort of. I did watch. Sh- shift a little bit, but uh, Benson came up on. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched the. We should have something yes. related to Ryan Johnson. So yes. 
So mm-hmm. his his I know new where you're going with show this. Poker Face is mm. is a great it's a really good show. It's yes. really great. Good show. It's a really good show. Speaking of nostalgia, it, it reminds yes. me of Columbo in many many ways. It's a of really course good show. it does. I yeah. love Columbo. Yeah, I love. Well, I loved Columbo, Murder She Wrote. I loved In the Heat of the Night because my grandmother used to watch those shows, and so yeah. I would watch them with her. And Likewise. I just I fell in love with those shows. I just did. They're like cozies, like yeah. cozy mysteries. But yeah. I like if you go back and watch that stuff. Like people are dead. Like people, <laughs> like people are dying in these shows. And like grandma's I, like, yeah, let's watch it. Let's watch it today. I had a, a question about Columbo recently, uh, and and a lot of those shows, like Murder She Wrote, where like I, I couldn't quite. It, it's so appealing, and I couldn't quite put my finger on why because we know who the killer is, and we know that Columbo's going to get them by the end. So where's the suspense? It's how he gets there. It's mm. like it, it's all the process. I mean, so Columbo is an example. Like I love detective stories, detective novels. Mm-hmm. I read I read Raymond Chandler when I was in college, and you know Dashiell Hammett, all that kind of stuff. And so I love following how the killer does something, and then how he's going to get found out. Like that's just fascinating mm. to me. And so that's what Poker's uh, Face does as well. Like you know what happened. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very clear what happened. They explain it at the beginning, but it's how she's going to figure it out. How she's going to use the special mm-hmm. power that she has to figure it out. And so that's what makes those shows really watchable. Like. What's the process by which you're going to be found out? It's great TV. It's a formula that they haven't had in a very long time, and they're going back to it. And you know what? It works. It works. It's like it formula. engages you in a different way. Like I love in that show, even it though does. you know how it's going to end, you know, every time. But I love being able to kind of clock like along like, oh, was that a clue? Was that a clue? You know, I love being mm. able to watch it in that way, which is not the way that I watch anything else actually it's kind of interesting though to to mark's earlier point about watching things ironically and and seeing how things are made with a kind of tongue-in-cheek nature poker face has that kind of we know what we're calling back to there is a you know um knowingness to it that colombo is playing right on the surface uh lawrence so long we're gonna keep talking for a few minutes before more knock yourself out i I gotta go eat bye guys nice to meet you lawrence (laughs) i think you called me jake but you know what (laughs) Uh, I'll try on something new for a while. Sure, why not, <laughs> Landon? So, what if you, if you were going to come back for some other topic? Now that you've sort of been exposed firsthand to the format, what what are some let's let's brainstorm some ideas? I mean, how how, how spicy do you want to get? Because get pretty I, spicy. I want to deconstruct Quentin Tarantino and the fandom around him. Uh, I've already done I, an episode on that, but. On, on you have i mean did you did you talk about the like the the culture around tarantino not just his films no it was it was focused on the once upon a time in hollywood and then like yeah i, I made myself watch all that, of his old yeah, yeah. films um yeah i i could revisit if he if it became particularly relevant like if he actually puts out his new star trek thing like that could be a focal point right well, he's he's working on a eight episode limited series now. I think is his next thing, but and it doesn't. I guess maybe it doesn't have to be Tarantino specific. Balloon it out a little bit, and I think like why we look to certain filmmakers as the Rosetta Stone of taste. Um, I just Tarantino is stuck in my craw for why do we care what his favorite film is? Why do we why do we put stock in? his opinions on things and not, 
you know, so many others. And should we at all, you know, what's the what's the use of having those kind of gatekeepers for finding out new things? I don't like the way that Tarantino does it. Uh, it's very bothersome to me. And the the fanboy culture that surrounds him gets, you know, under my skin in a huge way. Um, so that's something that I could talk endlessly about. Uh, I would also like to talk about streamers. Uh, and I have a kind of <laughs> another long diatribe and, and thoughts about uh, the exclusivity of um, content on certain streamers like Netflix. I'm kind of anti Netflix. Well, I, mean, I want to do like, one on, on cray paper streamers. Just, uh, just, <laughs> just why are, why are so many people into cray paper streamers? <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't mean to come at these topics from like a negative standpoint, but you know, I do think that there's with something like Netflix, the there's, you can't buy into one artist's property without buying into their entire corporate, you know, uh, standpoint. And to me, there's a problem that like, I can't see a Spike Lee film because I don't agree with Netflix. Uh, there's a sort of hoarding nature to that. Um, I, I stepped out of Netflix during the Tiger King era because of how they were dealing with, um, the content of that and like reposting fan art of Joe exotic online and kind of glorifying him as a character while at the same time depicting the deplorable, deplorable nature of what he was doing and, and the uh, kind of suicide stuff that was happening in it and taking no efforts toward making sure that those communities are, are, you know, that there's help out there that they're, they're giving back in any kind of way. So because I don't agree with that and don't want to give them money to deal with that. I can't watch Scorsese when it comes out or I can't watch, you know, whoever has exclusive rights to their service. So you just can't watch another. Yeah. Another one that I'm, I'm watching intermittently with my wife is, is manifest because like, I don't know. I like lost and lost ripoff shows. Like I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll spend some time with those. Most of them get canceled after one season, but this one has stuck around for like four seasons. So we're still in season one. I'm like, eventually this is going to get good, right? Like there's, there's gotta be a reason like, wait, well, it's the most number one thing. But right now it's just like, I loathe almost every actor on this. Um, <laughs> it's just like the, the shittiest Twilight Zone ripoff. Uh, <laughs> with with a, a psychic child, what is he going to draw next? And <laughs> just like, but but it's for some reason it's good enough that even though like then you know we'll watch switch over to an HBO thing like oh wait that actually had a production budget that actually <laughs> right, had right. you know <laughs> it's such a big difference there you know I'm like that with books if I if I start a book I I will probably finish it there are very few books yeah. that I will not finish even if. I'm not enjoying it. I just have to see it to the very end. I'm the same way. Yeah. Unless it's a, a series, I might not like continue forth in the series if I don't enjoy it. But sure. There's got to be, a, we haven't had a, an episode recently, I guess on novels. I mean, we did Pinocchio mm. and I made everybody read the Pinocchio story, which was <laughs> a nice experience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's hard to, uh, it's like if if a book makes a big enough splash, 
it will be a movie. Like so, yeah. The, yeah. right? Or, or even, even if it doesn't. Does. <laughs> yeah. I wonder because yeah. we talked a little bit about Fleischman. Uh, Fleischman is in trouble last time, and and about I'm interested in in novel adaptations. You know, successful mm-hmm. novel adaptations. It used to be that oh, the the show or the movie isn't nearly as good as the book, and I don't think that that's necessarily as true these days anymore because the. Yeah. I read both the book and watched the show and both I absolutely adored. Well, so many um, artists, so many writers are now taking the path of writing the book in order to have their kind of like, I, didn't they do that with the Expanse novels? I know you did an episode on that where they're like, this could be a show. Let's, you know, set this out in you know long format and there'll be a built in audience by the time we get it off the ground at a, a studio. Um, there's a lot of author involvement, like slow horses. Yeah. He, the author is very involved in, in the, and Fleischman too, Tammy Acker or what? Uh, I can't remember her last name, but she, or Taffy, she was, uh, she was very involved in writing the show. And also I think she helped. She was one of the producers or showrunners. I know this, this kind of leapfrogging topics, but based on an adapted novel got me to the point of American versions of uh, foreign films. Cause I was just thinking of a man called Otto versus a man called Ove or Ove uh, where there's a lot of Americanized versions of things that uh, can be an interesting, interesting topic, topic as well. As well. That's you know, true. we didn't, uh, I, I was going to mention. So in terms of current sitcoms, uh, my wife and I have been watching uh, the American version of Ghosts, which is a, a a nice little show. Like I I would recommend it to anybody. It is it's it's a great ensemble cast. Um, we just started watching the British version that it is adapted from. We watched that. Okay, so and and everything. I don't know. Like I like the American version, and I think my wife is going to end up preferring that, or you know, but the the British like so many of the things that are a little more natural, like that. I felt the same in most of the times when I've seen, um, what was the one that was in uh, Chicago about poor people with uh, the giant family? <laughs> it was adapted. Shameless. Is it a big family or a family of giants? Shameless. Because I would watch that. <laughs> yeah, that I watched the American version of Shameless and I'm like, this is a little weird. But then I saw, oh, the mm. British version where it's playing on this trope of the British pub crawling uh, you know, useless oaf. Yeah. Like the, that's a trope in a way that it kind of isn't in America in yeah. the same way. You take so out that, a key component of its foundation and it's, yeah. it changes. I mean, that show got, it adapted pretty quickly. Like after the first season, it was not following the British thing. And I didn't even watch much of the British thing more than two seasons or something. Um, yeah, that probably is its own thing. And whether you need, uh, oh, I I ended up binging in the last a couple weeks ago, the extraordinary attorney woo, which is because Netflix said, look, this is a thing. (laughs) This is a big, it's a Korean Mm. legal drama about a lawyer with autism. And I Mm. have, I don't know. I I feel like I want to eventually have an episode on the portrayals of autism because it always sort of fascinates me. So I've watched a good chunk of several, a few seasons of the, the medical drama about the autistic guy. What is that yeah. called? Yeah. The good doctor. The good, good doctor. doctor. Yeah, that's right. My and mom, so mom loves that show. Yeah. So it, it, it's a similar thing. But in this case, it's like, because the good doctor is based on a Korean show. 
that I have never mm-hmm. had the chance to be exposed to. But here, like maybe audiences with Squid Game and stuff are like getting over that, that we don't have to have the American Squid Game. Is there going to be an American right. Squid Game? I hope there's not. So I think like this completely could and probably will be made into an American show, but it doesn't need it. And what I actually like about it a lot is the fact that we had a, a episode a, a while ago on Korean media and I really immersed myself in K- Korean, you know, watching little bits of Korean soap operas and teen stuff and like kind of got the aesthetic. And I feel like I'm revisiting this, mm-hmm. you know, workaholic society yeah. of, of extreme <laughs> status. You know, once, once you, once you get your, uh, parasite, oh, parasite yes. yeah. yeah. once you get a little of that, like, I don't know, it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to keep some of that in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. yeah. 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 Well, I think it's interesting. My daughter, who's 18, watches Korean soap operas. She loves them. Um, I mean, she's also a big K-pop fan and all that kind of stuff. It, yeah, exactly. Isn't it kind it's of not its own a hum- culture, just you know, like Anglophiles, Nothing for her to right? get over. Yeah, I think she's she's just very interested. She's, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's, and I think it's cool. Like, I think on on balance, even though the British office was, you know, a groundbreaking, but the American office was, through sheer quantity, a much better show, a much more important show. Like, yeah, but it took a second to find its footing. That first season's rough, uh, and they once they once they stepped away from trying to be the British Office, did they find success? Yeah, they needed to figure out who they were. Yeah, it took a while, and NBC fortunately was patient. So, as yeah, I which have, you don't see anymore. <laughs> I've occasionally had to read ads for VPNs, and they say like, "Did you know there are you know twenty different versions of The Office or?" 50 different versions for every country. There's an office from the in from India and there's an office, you know, like, <laughs> wow, I'm kind of interested. I mean, uh, <laughs> touching on all this. I don't know if this is still Patreon content or not, but yes. you know, let me just put a plug in for subs, not dubs. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I can't, I can't get around that. Uh, even, even with like anime, I don't mm. want to hear yeah. Like, cause then it doesn't matter. The performance, you know, it's going to look unnatural anyway, <laughs> right, but like right. it's, but I would rather not hear the awkward translation <laughs> that right. for sure won't go with what I'm seeing than just yeah. have it be all foreign, like, yeah. and then get the, la- the rhythm of the language, the source language. Yeah. Throughout. Great. Finally getting to talk to you. And I did make myself, I, I couldn't, make myself like sink hard into two hour episodes about individual home improvement. Like I just don't oh, have God. that reaction to I, that. I sh- wouldn't recommend it. If I had gone <laughs> through that show, like if you did what if there, if you had done it on the Brady bunch, even though I sort of hate myself for having watched the Brady bunch that much, as much as I did, <laughs> I know it like the back of my hand and I would listen to yeah. two people talk for two hours well, about a Brady bunch episode. <laughs> one thing that we try to do is like, that's the recap part of our podcast where we want people to come to it and not feel like they have to have watched home improvement. Cause we, we do break it down. Like this happens in every single scene. Let's talk about it. What's actually happening here. How is the story progressing? Um, still, yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> we do two hour episodes just because our fan base has, you know, allowed us to, uh, it's certainly, <laughs> uh, a hurdle in getting new listeners for sure. <laughs> yes. There was a, uh, this is this is off topic, but a, a long time ago, when my my first child was born, 
I started rebuying, like I, and I discovered eBay and I started buying Star Wars figures because like I had them as a kid and, you know, we got rid of them all. And so I'm like buying them for my son, for my son who didn't care yet at the time. Uh, and then I started listening to a little bit to this like Star Wars action news podcast, but they were way more into it than I was. So it was like two hours of content per day that would go into every single kind of thing. You know, I only care about the, the one kind of figure. I don't care about the bobbleheads and the other, like <laughs> finding, finding something, something that's exactly the right level of, of how into the thing you are is, is a little <laughs> challenging. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's uh, we recognize that too. I mean, on our show, I would say we're not interested really in the the production details of you know the the boom operator for this particular episode, you know. But we one thing I love is all of the character actors that are coming on the show and exploring you know everything that they've been in. So we have little segments dedicated to the people coming on, and so we have like a. It's kind of an absurdist show in ways, too, because we have these games that started, you know, seven years ago that have just become staples. But anyone entering in in the eighth season to be like, why are you doing a game about whether or not this character actor was on ER? <laughs> it doesn't quite make any sense, but it's kind of a, a launching off point for us to kind of explore other things beyond home improvement uh, within a home improvement episode. <laughs> yes, ER was the was the catch all. I've now my my wife has has is very into uh criminal minds has like finished the show pretty much. And that like, they've had so many guest stars over their like 13 years of existence that probably anybody they're like, Oh yeah, that person. Do they film in New York? Are they all New York actors? I don't even know. (laughs) They're flying around They're jet setting. All right. I've never watched that. I got to go and do some work. So yeah. As do I for chatting. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciated this. It's really nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise, Sarah. Bye. Bye. (laughs) See y'all. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.